0: Welcome to Commission. I'm Pastor Eric Teitelman
1: and I'm Jed Robine. In each episode we will talk about the gospel of the kingdom, declaring God's heart for the restoration of Israel and all the nations.
0: So join us as we together explore the mysteries of the one new man. Welcome back to the Commission Podcast. I'm Pastor Eric Tidelman, and with me as always is my good friend Jed Robine. And we are continuing, this is part two of a two-part series. We've been talking about the, the war in Ukraine and how we as Christians, how we are to seek the Lord in prayer, in our inner closet, and also to seek truth. There's a lot of deception, a lot of misinformation floating around out there, and how to really find what is God's heart and what, it's, what is God's truth on this matter seeking it from scripture, but also really tapping into God's nature, his character of love for all people. And uh, we're going to talk some more tonight in this direction, but a little more about Israel. So Jed, let me turn it over to you so you can kind of expand on that for us.
1: Yeah, thanks, Eric. It's always great to talk about these things with you and just hear your thoughts as well. And as we ponder and consider what the Lord might be doing on you know, these great kind of geopolitical moments, I think you said in the last episode, there hasn't quite been a war in our lifetime, like the one that's going on in Ukraine right now. And especially when you think about nuclear capabilities and, and the existential threat level has increased. And, and so you're looking at the threat of something that could spiral very quickly into world war III, And as we look at, okay, here's what's happening geopolitically from a, on a human level, we want to pull back, and try to look at this from lord what are you doing at a pr- prophetic level right what's what's happening behind the scenes you said all these things we talked about at last episode in Matthew 24 Luke 21 all these things have to come to pass and they're all challenging adversity they cause human suffering difficulty lots of challenge is going to be on the earth and yet god's plan is still unfolding his kingdom is going to be born. And one of the key markers of that, we talked about the fig tree last episode as is being Israel. Right. And here we have the nation of Israel reborn after 1900 years, 1947, we have suddenly a messianic uh, remnant getting stronger. Um, in fact, in Ukraine, the largest messianic congregation in the world happens to be in Ukraine. And so it's want to look at specifically how what's taking place in in Russia and Ukraine right now, what, is, what are some things that God's doing here and how do they relate to Israel specifically? And so I want to throw it back to you, Eric. How do you see the conflict in Russia and Ukraine affecting Israel on any number of, in any number of ways?
0: Well, it's having a profound impact on the nation. And I'll start probably with the most obvious, and that is that there are estimated to be at least 100,000, and I've heard even as high as 300,000 Jewish people that were living in Ukraine. In fact, uh, there, there were, I think most of them have now been bombed or destroyed to some degree, but there were some beautiful synagogues in Ukraine, Orthodox movements, the Hasidic movement came out of Ukraine. There's a rich, rich Jewish history tied uh, to this country. And uh, even even after the Holocaust and it's estimated that anywhere from maybe 900,000 to up to 1.5 or 1.7 million Jews were were murdered in Russia in that part of the Nazis came through and invaded Ukraine and th- there were many Ukrainians that were actually helping the Nazis towards the end of the war to round up the Jews and and they were exterminating the Jews by the tens of thousands so the bloodshed over this nation is is Rather disturbing, and there are, are Holocaust memorials uh, in different parts of Ukraine. Some, one of them I just saw was recently damaged by a Russian bombing. But here we have, eighty years later, after the Holocaust, the president of Ukraine is Jewish, and and not only that, but he is the grandson of a Holocaust survivor. Right. When you talk about God's redemption his redemption over nation where here what the enemy used for pure evil to try to to annihilate the Jewish people. And, you know, 80 years later, there's this incredibly warm relationship between Ukraine and the Jewish people that live there and they even elect a Jewish president. And I, and I think that's a redemption on God's part over the nation of Ukraine. Interestingly enough, the war, of course, now is driving many of those Jews to leave and to make Aliyah. And so as much as I really liked seeing this warm relationship, I know that God's heart ultimately is to bring all the, D- the Jewish people back to Israel. And so he's, he's allowing this circumstance to unfold. Obviously, God allows all of these things to happen. He can stop it if he chooses, but he is allowing it. And through that, just like the Holocaust was horrible, but out of the ashes of the Holocaust, Israel was reborn as a nation. And here again, you see, out of the ashes of what's coming out of Ukraine, tens of thousands of, of Jewish people now are returning back to the land of Israel. So there is a redemptive piece of it.
1: Can we? I want to talk about this because I think this is at a macro level, spiritually speaking, one of the most significant developments is the migration of people. Yeah. And God, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. But you, you even go back to the story of the Exodus. You know, we're coming into Passover season, talking about the, the, the Jewish people leaving Egypt. Well, they got to Egypt because a famine forced a migration right. from the land of Canaan down to Egypt. And so adversity challenge
0: challenge right that
1: God had a plan amidst the challenge he sent Joseph ahead to not just save the Jewish people he saved the entire ancient world
0: yeah through this
1: through this man and so God foresaw the challenge and he knew what was coming and he had a plan and he prepared a way and Joseph was mistreated horribly and yet what was meant for evil will be used for good so God's plan in his heart is for good yes um Amidst a lot of challenge, and at times, even evil is in the story, affecting different lives and causing disruption. And so, here we have a war, and one of the immediate ramifications of that war in Odessa, for example, there were Jewish communities that were prepared. And when this happened, they moved very quickly to get the Jewish community out and get them back to Israel. There's thousands are even leaving Russia now. And so from both countries, the Jewish community, it's like almost they're saying we've been here before. Yeah. We, this feels very familiar. We are going home. We're not sticking around to see how this plays out because we've seen this movie before. Um, let's, go, let's go to live in Israel. And a lot of them are leaving with nothing. They're showing up. And what's interesting on, on the Israeli side, there's been an election. And now Naftali Bennett is in power and his coalition. And what I find interesting is there's the Ministry of Interior is no longer with the Shah's party, which was the ultra-Orthodox, and the Ministry of Interior was resisting Messianic Jewish migration. Now, that's not quite as hard a stance in that Ministry of Interior. And so is God potentially opening the doors to get some Jewish believers back home through this new leadership in the government there? And with this migration from this part of the world, thousands are coming now. And so what does that mean for the gospel? What families are going to be raised in Israel now that may know Yeshua that wouldn't have been there, but the war has accelerated their migration?
0: We're going a little bit of a rabbit trail here, but talking about Israel's immigration policies, it's, it's more than just the messianic piece. There's been a, a longstanding debate about what to do with Jewish people that have a Jewish father, for example, but not a Jewish mother. Right. Because the rabbinic uh, interpretation is extremely strict. If your mother is Jewish, you're in the club. And if your mother is not Jewish, it doesn't matter how Jewish your father was, you could be an Orthodox rabbi and you're not in the club. So they take, they've taken a very strict interpretation. And we have around the world, we have millions and millions of people that have a Jewish father and they have not been able to return to Israel. And now, The government is starting to shift that opinion. You also have people that are married to non-Jewish people, Jews, for example. And there's a big uproar going on in Israel right now because there's a Christian, Arab Christian woman who's married to a Jewish man. And she's been invited to be part of this gathering. And it's just created quite an uproar amongst the Orthodox community. But, you know, they invite her in because she is married to a Jew. She's friendly towards Israel and towards she's an Israeli and friendly towards the Jewish people. But the rabbis are just, you know, incest about it. So I want to talk for a little bit about the politics of what's going on. You know, Israel, they're a democracy, like the United States and the Western European countries. They're more socialist and they have a parliamentary system that is similar to England, for example. But, But they are a democracy and they're an open society in that regard. They're not totalitarian for example like Russia is or even Turkey and Iran certainly not nothing like Iran and yet Israel has had to play the cards with both the United States and of course Israel is considered to be an ally of the United States and the US provides billions of dollars in military support and military aircraft and munitions and so on i mean the US has been beyond generous to Israel but at the same time, Israel has a very large Russian population as well. Russia now is in, in Syria, really. Right in
1: their, right their back door.
0: Right in their back door. And they are allowing Israel, they have an agreement, they are allowing Israel to fly over Syria to attack Iranian targets that are being set up in Syria for the purpose of destroying and annihilating Israel. And the Russians, so far, so far, have been willing to let the Israelis come in and kind of do their business with the with the Iranians, as long as the Russians don't get you know caught in the crossfire, so to speak. So Israel is kind of playing this neutral card. And of course, as you've seen, Naftali Bennett has been flying all around the place. He's flown to Moscow. He's flown to Kiev. I think he was even there at one point. He's been to Poland. He's all over the, Germany. He's been all over the place. And he's this Jewish prime minister that is trying to mediate some kind of a peace agreement between Putin and Zelensky. Turkey is also playing a very interesting role in the negotiations as well. And Israel and Turkey have recently come into some warmer territory. They were kind of hostile towards each other there for at least a decade, I think. And they still, Turkey still condemns Israel for It's, you know, treatment of the Palestinians and the separation that they, you know, and all the other harm they say they're creating. But then Turkey is an opportunist country. Erdogan is, he wants to make money and he's looking to buy natural gas from Israel, which has a huge deposit. And he's also looking to buy natural gas from Iraq and pipe it, guess where? To Europe to bypass the Russians, which is interesting. In the meantime, you have the Russians negotiating this nuclear deal, a new nuclear deal with Iran. The U.S. has kind of taken a backseat. Macron, he's sort of, France is there kind of with the Russians, giving away the farm, so to speak. And the people that are really getting thrown under the bus is Israel. Both Russia, France, and America are selling the Israelis out. Why? Because they're giving the Iranians everything they're asking for. Most, of course, they want hundreds of billions of dollars of frozen assets released that as soon as they're freed up the Iranians are going to buy more missiles more guns and more weapons that they're going to send to their proxies in Syria in Lebanon in Gaza in Yemen the Yemeni, the Houthis are attacking Saudi Arabia so you have this whole potential conflict going on between Iran and Saudi Arabia and now, a, kind of a cold war brewing between Saudi Arabia and the United States, and they won't sell us or they won't increase oil production. And so the US is now tapping into its oil reserves. I mean, the whole thing is a giant powder keg yeah, in the Middle it's East.
1: It's a pressure cooker. Right. And Israel is right there getting the pressure and the tension is mounting. Right. And biblically speaking, God always brings Israel back to the simple truth of, you're not to rely on any other nation. That's right. They're always going to let you down. The covenant that God wants is with him. He's the shield of Israel. And at the end, you know, the Lord is very clear where he talks about, you know, the nations are going to try to move Israel, but they're going to disjoint their own back. You know, it's going to be a very, it's a heavy stone of stumbling right there in the midst of the Middle East. And so this is a conundrum that God has set up. That really is only going to be solved when the Prince of Peace returns. It's, it's by design set to confound the Jewish people and the nations so that everybody recognizes the Lord uh, ultimately. And so we have well, to your point, it's interesting to look at what's happening to Israel because this is putting a lot of pressure on Israel. They're feeling it from the West in their relationship with America. And they want to please America because of the aid that they've historically had. And they want their friend to be with them on the playground when bullies start throwing their weight around and they're feeling the pressure because of proximity, Russia's right there. And Russia has long wanted a warm water port. You know, back in the, in the Six-Day War, they, they wanted were, I mean, Haifa. Right off of Haifa. Uh, you know, historically speaking, classified documents have revealed Russian submarines right there, kind of waiting to pounce and get that warm water port um, that they've always wanted. So it is interesting from a political perspective this is putting a ton of pressure right there on a, a young coalition government to navigate some very complex political waters.
0: It's interesting and, and actually is as disturbing as the war has been to watch in Ukraine, especially the suffering of the people. I mean, it's been incredibly disturbing. I feel like the, what's being overlooked, actually, it's almost being sort of overshadowed because the world right now is so focused on what's happening in Ukraine, that what's happening in the Middle East is actually being overshadowed. But the Middle East, I mean, just it was just a few weeks ago that, for example, Iran launched something like 12 ballistic missiles towards the American embassy. They didn't hit it, and the Americans claimed they weren't aiming for it. And I'm like, well, what were you trying to hit if you were not trying to hit the American embassy? I mean, they only hit... Some buildings a few blocks away and blamed it on some secret Israeli whatever. But what if they had hit the American consulate and embassy in Iraq? Would the US have done anything to attack Iran given that they're trying so desperately to renegotiate this nuclear deal? And I think the answer is probably not. So there's this huge pressure cooker. And I fear right now that the next major war, and this is not Gog and Magog. But the next major war that will come to the world is going to be in the Middle East, probably centered around Iraq, with Iran on one side and Saudi Arabia on the other side, and Iran is Shia Muslim, and uh, Saudi Arabia is Sunni Muslim, and they don't get along, and Iran wants to rebuild their caliphate, and Saudi Arabia does not want Iran building a Shia caliphate across the Middle East. And so your United Arab Emirates is right in the middle of that. As well, and so there's conceivably this—you know—all of the ingredients for a major escalation uh, of, of a war brewing with Israel somewhere in this mix, with Iran trying to launch drones and who knows what other weapons into into Israel. So while everybody's focused on Ukraine, I'm fearful that there's a war brewing in the Middle East, and the United States is actually helping to set the landscape for it.
1: Mm. Wow. So the days that we're living in are urgent and there's more going on than the, on the surface of the news headlines. We have to look through the headlines to go back to God's word, to really get a perspective of the complexities of what's going on. And ultimately we can't, we have to remember, we cannot forget, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. That this is a spiritual war ultimately about who's going to be worshiped in Jerusalem. And so, for Christians around the world, you know, there's an orientation taking place where God's bringing together His family, every tribe and every tongue. You know, the persecution that believers are are facing around the world. We're starting to see anti-Semitism rise to new levels here in the United mm, States,
0: unprecedented, uh,
1: and in Europe. And so, it's hard to fathom after you know 75 years ago in World War II, where we have arrived in the West with anti-Semitism, but there's more hostility towards Christianity. That's becoming um, uh, under assault in many ways. And so there's pressure. We're all in this pressure cooker. And ultimately comes down to who do you worship? That's right. And that's really, to oversimplify it, it's going to be the Antichrist. At some point in the future, a world leader will emerge and demand to be worshiped as God. And an angel, this is Revelation 13, Warns. It says, don't take the mark of the beast. Don't worship that image. But it says the, every eye on the earth sees him, this angel apparently. So at one point, the decision becomes really clear. You're going you're gonna to be part of the Babylon system, worshiping a false God, or you've remained true to Christ. And the pressure on the earth is continuing to increase in that, in that way to clarify who's going to be ultimately worshiped in Jerusalem as God.
0: Yeah, amen. Yeah, it's interesting. Again, we were, you know, in the last episode, we were talking about Revelation and the Antichrist. And this mark of the beast, it's not just an economic mark. It's not like just some credit card chip that's in your hand, but it, but it is. But it's specifically designed to get the world to worship. Correct. To worship the Antichrist. There is a spiritual component To this this Babylonian system of commerce that you were just talking about. It's a it's a global economic system that the enemy actually has his hand in today and, and has for going all the way back to the beginning of the fall of from the Garden of Eden, and it will continue all the way through the tribulation. And, you know, the Lord is telling us, come out of Babylon. He's giving us this very Stern warning, don't. And it says specifically anybody that that drinks and fornicates, you know, with the system that takes the marks mark of the beast and and worships the beast and becomes part of this global Babylonian economic system. It says that they have their name in the lake of fire. That's what it says, not in the book of life. And so, it's a pretty serious, you know, serious warning that God has given given to the earth.
1: Which makes it so, so clear and important to circle back as we bring this episode to a close, as we looked at some of these themes and trends that are taking place in Israel today. But it makes it so important to consider the narratives that we listen to. Where are we getting our information? And what do we believe to be true? Is the Bible the truth? Or is it just one of many books that are holy? Is Jesus the Messiah, or is he just one of many enlightened religious leaders over the ages. How we answer that question when Jesus says to Peter, who do you say that I am? How we answer that question will determine our eternal destiny and to a large extent it's going to determine how we see the world around us. And so we have all these pressures around us with all of their narratives telling us what to worship, what to look at, what to think, what to feel, what to believe. And so we have to go back to the foundation of the Word of God to protect the truth.
0: Well, thanks again for joining us for this second part of a really interesting discussion that we've had, Jen and I've had, for the last two episodes. And we we hope you've learned something from it. And uh, if if you liked what you've been listening to, make sure you subscribe to one of our, our podcast channels so that you always get our latest episodes sent directly to you, and you can listen to them. We try to send these out every month, a couple times a month even. So thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to seeing you again on our next episode. If you've enjoyed this podcast from permission, make sure you subscribe to our channel and don't forget to visit our ministry websites.
1: We pray the Lord richly blesses you and we look forward to having you join us again for our next episode.